Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Avatar Returns. I'm your host, Paul Smith of the Gobbledygeek Podcast, and joining me, as always, are... I'm Eric Sipple. And I am Arlo Wiley. Uh, and each week, uh, me and these two clowns discuss uh, two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series The Legend of Korra. Eric and I have seen both the series before, but this is Arlo's first trip to the world of Avatar, so there will be spoilers, but only up through the episodes that we are discussing tonight. Um, and tonight, we're taking a step back from the crazy family drama of the Metal Clan in Zhao Fu uh, to focus, uh, however briefly, on some crazy family drama up at the Northern Air Temple with uh, Chapter 307 Original Airbenders. Uh, and then it's back to the Earth Kingdom for uh, pajama fights and pie show lessons with uh, chapters 308, The Terror Within, and 309, The Stakeout. Um, I need to start keeping notes. Like, I need to, in our little intro, I need to remind myself what your, Arlo, your predictions for these episodes were. <laughs> I need, I need um, to track I, I do remember, I remember this one because... When I saw the the title Original Airbenders this morning when I turned it on, <laughs> I had the exact same thought. I was like, oh, wait, I think I already said that on the show. <laughs> it was it was going to be like the uh, the original Kings of Comedy. All right. They're all going to get on a stage okay. and uh, do airbending tricks. All right. Um, anyways, uh, before we get to any of that, uh, just a couple uh, little banter things I had since the show's all about me. Uh I, I want to make everybody aware that um, the Samurai is almost back. God damn it. Samurai Jack is, is scheduled to return um, Saturday, March 11th. is coming back to Cartoon Network uh, for a fifth and final season after, what has it been, 13 years? I think it's been 13 years since the last original episode of Samurai Jack. Um, th did either of you watch it? I watched like an episode. Oh, really? Did you like maybe did, one? Did you not like it or or what? You know, you know, the thing with Samurai Jack was that I like I really appreciated it, but it was I struggle with shows that feel like they should have a plot that just feel like individual episodes. You know yeah. what I mean? Like if it's it feels like if it's supposed to if it feels like a one episode show, like an adventure show, it's fine. But this felt like one of those shows in the setup that should have had like a plot arc, uh -huh. and as far as I could tell, it didn't. And so it just fell in that like negative space for me of a show I couldn't connect with because of that. You know, I, I actually I'm kind of going to agree with you on that. I did watch it and I, I loved it. But even while I was loving it, I did kind of struggle with the fact that it was it's such an interesting concept. And every episode really just felt like a standalone. I mean, exactly what you said. There was no there didn't really seem to be an arc from beginning to end or whatever. Um, but I, you know, I loved the show for kind of what it was, which is each episode is just a, a visual, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, fine art or whatever. I mean, it, it's like, you, I, I didn't watch Samurai Jack. Ultimately I learned not to watch Samurai Jack, uh, to be told a fascinating tale. I watched it for some amazing, um, visuals, some animated cinematography, some shout outs, um, visual and otherwise to like classic films and that kind of stuff. I don't know. It was just a, it was a visual and, and oral wonder for me. It, it looked fantastic. And I loved like the animation. Some of the, like, I mean, I love that. Like, unlike most animation, there was no lining mm -hmm. around mm -hmm. the character designs or anything like things like that gave it a really 
interesting look. It was it was beautiful artistically, and I I think that whatever it was doing was doing the type of show it wanted to be doing. But yeah, um, do you know if the new one has a plot arc? Like, is this yes. is there any change? Yeah, yeah, no, actually. So I, I'm kind of glad that we that you mentioned that uh, that that was your issue with the original run because this fifth and final season it's going to be ten episodes, and it uh, is designed to have a narrative through line. It's going to, it's going to complete the tale. I know we just kind of said there wasn't a tale being told, but it's going to, to uh, wrap up the story of Samurai Jack. Um, and apparently every episode is going to feature a kind of a revelation to the larger mythology, um, all leading up to the finale, which is going to finally wrap up the story. Also, it's going to be much more, uh, mature and darker. So Samurai Jack had kind of a crazy premise. Uh, for those that don't know, it was a, a, a samurai from feudal Japan and his magic sword got uh, fought a de- the demon Aku, the shape-shifting lord of darkness or whatever he, he was. Um, and uh, just as he was about to kill this demon, the demon cast him into the future just to get him out of his way. And so you had a feudal, uh, a samurai from feudal Japan that was now living in this far distant uh, sci-fi dystopian future. So all he ever did was hack up robots. Uh, it was it was the sort of uh, G.I. Joe cliche. If there were ever humans in peril, they'd magically have parachutes. And the only thing he ever got to chop up with his magic sword were, were robots. Um, not so in this new season, apparently. Um, like just the, the little trailer that's out there um, you see at least one like human character being killed on frame with an arrow through the eye, I believe. And there's a scene where like uh, Jack is walking down a hallway and he's got a sword sticking out of his side and he's leaving a blood trail on the wall. So they they say they're upping the maturity, <laughs> the, you know, the the rating. This I hope they season. go full like Daredevil and Aku like slams a guy's head in a door over <laughs> and over and over again. <laughs> Complete with the, the sound effects. Yes. Yeah, I'm ready for that. Um, I know that Phil Lamar. So it's the original uh, creative team coming back. Gendy Tartakovsky and, and um, his production crew. Uh, Phil Lamar returns as the voice of uh, Samurai Jack. The only thing I don't know. Uh, so Aku was originally voiced by uh, our beloved uh, Uncle Iroh, uh, Mako Iwamatsu. Really? Yes. Uh, so, obviously, he has passed away, and uh, Gendy, in an interview, said that um, he that Mako's performance as Aku was so iconic and so so uh, just uh, you know uh, of itself of a piece that he really didn't want to recast. At one point, he had considered getting rid of the character Aku and do it and just somehow like writing that character out somehow. And then he had considered, well, we'll just give him a completely different voice. Like we'll, we'll just, he, he won't sound like Mako anymore. And he just decided he couldn't do that. So he says that he has found an actor who sounds just like Mako. He has never named who this actor is. I'm wondering if it's going to be Greg Baldwin, the guy who, who has taken over voicing uncle Iroh in the, the avatar and Korra. Uh, I feel show. like that's the only the only option. Like, there's no winning choice for replacing um, Mako's voice. And Avatar had the unfortunate situation where they had absolutely no choice. There yeah. was no choice but to recast Mako. And since they sort of, like, already 
took the bullet on that one, I feel like the right call is to just go with Greg Baldwin because he he picked up Iroh's uh, sorry Mako's best role mm-hmm. his his most his his pinnacle of the roles that we got at least in um, uh, our pop culture. So just go with Greg Baldwin. Yeah, that's the right call. I, I'm assuming that's so who it's going to be. But my my question there though is. Why wouldn't he just say he hired Greg Baldwin? Why is he keeping it a secret? I, I, I don't know. And that kind of leads me to believe it's not Greg Baldwin. I've, I've looked on. Well, there's very little information other than Phil Lamar is coming back. That's like the only confirmed voice. I don't know. The IMDb page doesn't have a lot of information on it yet. And uh, I don't know. We're we're just a little bit over a month out. So I feel like maybe some of this information st- should be be appearing at this point but well apparently we're not obviously not the only ones thinking this because um if, like if you type in greg baldwin it's greg baldwin iro and then greg baldwin aku so <laughs> lots of people are yeah. um are uh, on this on this train but i'm not finding any any information yeah i this. uh I, I searched Greg Baldwin's IMDb just to see, because sometimes, you know, actors will list their next project, even if it hasn't been officially announced and it it didn't say anything. So I, I kind of assume that's who it's going to be, but who knows? Um, Arlo, you never answered the question if you had seen Samurai Jack. I watched. So let's see. How old was I? I would have been uh, 11, 10, 10 or 11. Yeah. When that aired, I watched the premiere movie, like the 90 minute Mm-hmm. series premiere and did not like it um i think i would like it now but mm-hmm. for whatever reason when i was a kid it did not it did not interest me at all well uh apparently um uh adult swim i think is uh has been rerunning the entirety uh, just like on a loop i guess that is what i heard of the original four seasons um but a much easier way to deal with uh, watching the entire season, the entire series is just to go to Hulu because last I checked all four of the original seasons are on Hulu in their entirety. So except then you would have to have Hulu. Well, that's true. But as, as most people by this point know, Arlo, you're not Mm -hmm. most people. That's true. That is true. I am not most people. Hmm, that's a so. comforting thought. Anyways, I'm excited for the return of Samurai Jack. Uh, Eric, maybe you'll give it another shot at some point. I don't. I don't. Yeah, know. no. If they, I mean, my only issue was that I couldn't shake the itch that I wanted there to be a plot. So that's that was on me, on, well, not the show. Well, you but... know, since since the since it didn't really have a plot for the original four seasons, you might just be able to pick up with this fifth season because. Um, it, uh, it it's going to be kind of standalone. I mean, obviously, it's it's finishing up the story that was started before, but it's fifty years in the future again. Like it's it's fifty years beyond where we were in the original series, um, and the the character of Samurai Jack has changed. And I don't know. It just it sounds like it would be possible to watch these ten episodes kind of just on their own. So I think that's what I'm going to do. I might. If there are any episodes you can think of that you want to send me that are, like, just really amazingly cool oh, yeah. in the original series, like, feel free to send me, like, a handful just to get me in the right mode. You know what I mean? Since there's no plot, I could just watch them. So if there's any that you're like, 
these are just so cool. Send those, and I'll watch those before I watch the series. Yeah, absolutely. I'll do, I'll do that. Um, okay, one more thing that I had before we uh, get to our chapters tonight. Uh, friend of the show, Scud Pie Show, uh, which uh, clearly is a family name. On <laughs> Seriously, uh, Scud, if you're listening, uh, what do you want me to call you? I don't know. <laughs> Scud Pie Show. Uh, is all I know you by. Anyways, uh, friend of the show, Scud Pie Show. We we've we've talked about him on the show before. He had previously uh, pointed us to his website where he had come up with uh, a set of rules for the game of Pie Show. He contacted me recently um, after our our last episode um, to let me know that there's a website out there called Fiction uh, Fiction Food Cafe. Uh, and they have a recipe for the kale nutsko smoothie, which we discussed uh, last week or last time. Uh, that's from Chapter 306, Old Wounds. The the fancy green uh, beverage that uh, uh, Suyin's chef made for Lin that was named for um, Brian Kanitsko. Um, nice. So I've looked at it. Um, it... It sounds tasty, except for the whole kale aspect, which is like ninety percent of it. But I'm intrigued. I may, I may try it. It's a little, uh, it's a little uh, complex to make. Is that what's what's it? Tell us the recipe because if it's if it's if it's if it's makeable, if it's like something that won't like become a giant burden, I will happily make one and drink it on the show for the. Um, Siri, the season finale of season three. Okay. For the episode where we do that. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to include the link in the show notes, but uh, I'm looking at it right now, and it says, let's see, ingredients: uh, one large handful of fresh kale, uh, um, one and a half cups coconut water, uh, a quarter to a half cup walnut milk. Um, I have to get walnut milk. Okay, I got it. That's, and that's I it. it. The re- the reason I said that uh, it's kind of complicated is. Um, I know you can buy coconut water, but he's got, or, or this page has instructions on how to make walnut milk. Make so, walnut milk. Yeah, so I don't know if you can buy walnut milk or if you have to make it. But his instructions uh, call for you to take a bunch of walnuts and and mix them with a pinch of salt and boiling water, and you blend them and. Uh, I, you strain I, out the pulp and you uh, let it sit overnight. I don't know. There's some. Crazy... I have a, I have a proposal on this one, which is why not just use almond milk? <laughs> I had the same thought. Okay. Well. Okay. I'll, here I'll do the 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 difficult looking of um, walnut milk, um, which I'm sure exists out there somewhere, maybe. But if not, then I will. Um, I we will we will use some other type of milk. I'm gonna guess that walnut milk has some kind of like extra health benefit that this person decided was but, important. But, but almond see, milk is everywhere. But see, without walnut milk, it wouldn't be kale nutsko. It would be kale mundsko. Okay, oh, come on, almonds are nuts. <laughs> okay, all right, <laughs> but they're not called almond nuts. That's what, that's what Arlo's called. That's true. <sighs> okay, I'm gonna see if I can find. Walnut milk out there, although no one seems to sell it, which tells me that it'll taste awful. Maybe. Um, but I will see if I can find walnut milk somewhere. But if not, I say we um, go for something else. <laughs> okay, uh, for a I substitute. Yeah. All right. 
uh, let's see, they, this guy says for flavor you can add in a banana and so on. Anyways, uh, it sounds intriguing. I would be willing to try it if there was a, a less labor-intensive way of me trying it. But anyways, at the same time that he uh, notified me uh, about this um, fiction food uh, cafe, which I need to check out the rest of the website because I'm sure there's all sorts of... Th this sounds like something, Arlo, that you wanted us to do on Gobbledygeek a long time ago. You had mm -hmm. some weird fascination for... Um, various foods and recipes from pop culture that you wanted us to do an entire hey, episode we, about. We, we kind of did with the Bob's Burgers episode. We did. We did. But I, I feel like there's probably more than just burgers on this website. Anyways, in addition to that, he wanted to give me a heads up uh, just in time, considering one of the chapters that we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, he sent me a link for his newly updated and, according to him, standardized rules for the game of Pie Show. Uh, like I said, we talked about these before. Uh, he says that, um, he informs me that apparently there's a, a pretty sizable Pie Show community online and that there's, just like in the in the show, there are various uh, iterations or, or versions of this game out there. And he apparently has, uh, I, I should say he or she, I honestly don't know anything about, uh, uh, Scud Pie Show is a mystery to me. Anyways, he or she has sort of uh, come up with a comprehensive and standardized set of rules. Uh, those rules on the website, again, I'll include a link in the show notes. Those rules are printable. Uh, and there's also a link on that website uh, where you can play it online. And I was looking at it earlier, uh, and it appears uh, the online play looks like it works sort of like those chess games that you used to see spies playing with each other via coded messages in newspapers or whatever. Um, it's not. It doesn't look like it's real time. It looks like you make a move, and then whoever your your uh, opponent is makes a move, and and you get notified about it. But um, anyways, I can only assume that that means these guys are are secretly the red lotus or some color of lotus. Maybe not red. I don't know. I don't want to project political philosophies on these people. But sounds like you do. Uh, okay, we'll leave it at that. Let's get straight to our first chapter tonight, uh, 307 Original Airbenders. Arlo, you are the noob. Why don't you tell us what you thought about this one? My thought is that Tencent still doesn't know how to sell a product. <laughs> his, his product is um, Air Nomadhood, and he is not... He, he, he cannot key into the appealing aspects of it because, you know, at, at one point, I forget who it was, but someone asks him, like, when do uh, when do we get, get to fly a bison? It's like after years of practice, like he doesn't know. He, he just he he it goes back to Tenzin thinking that these new airbenders, because they suddenly discover that they can airbend automatically want to sign up for life as an air nomad and granted these people have but he just he assumes that they assume they consider it like a great and noble honor he's not considering that they're people who you know have lives and want to do things <laughs> and he's air, basically air... awful with this he didn't he totally didn't learn his lesson from no, no. failing to pick up any people at all no he he really didn't um 
he uh, he forces i think the guy's name is daw he, he he forces daw to get his head shaved and afterward when someone objects he's like shaving your head is a personal choice and, and daw's, daws like, like wait, wait what? what yeah it's one of the best <laughs> so oh so so this i want to point out that this um these are the first episodes of either avatar series that aaron has ever seen because i watch them um downstairs instead of on my computer like i often do i was watching them on my playstation on the main t- big tv and so aaron was cross-stitching when i put it on and and the um it's optional wait what joke got mm-hmm. a pretty good laugh from her so having <laughs> nice. no idea what the show was and no idea what anything that that joke landed uh, multiple jokes landed but that was the one that i remembered landing that's awesome S- side note i started seeing a new therapist today and i mentioned that I do do podcasts, and she asked what the podcasts were about. I was like, well, one's just like a general pop culture podcast, and the other one's about Avatar The Last Airbender. And there was just a um, silence. <laughs> like, you could tell she was racking her brain to figure out what the fuck that was. <laughs> Damn. She was I, like, I was hoping you were going to say that uh, she's a super fan and that uh, that no. dominated the rest of your session. No, and then she was like, Oh, okay. Like, I think she was trying to give the impression that she knew what I was talking about, uh-huh. but has seriously no idea. Uh, well, hey, hey, there, there was a worse option there, and the worse option was <laughs> what that M Night Shyamalan movie. <laughs> the The worst option was I love M Night Shyamalan. Oh, man, that would have been your first and last session with this new. That's right, therapist. That's right. Because that person would be crazy. Um, are you are you gonna are you gonna offer to let her listen to episode three hundred of Gobble the Geek? <laughs> I, I for for some reason I did not mention that to her. Man, missed opportunity. Um, I know, but so anyway, Tenzin is terrible. Yes. at what he's doing, and because Boomy is a leader of men, uh, um, he he's persuaded to go to Boomy for advice and Boomy tells him, you know, to roll with iron fist and Tenzin really takes that to heart. And Boomy winds up like quitting <laughs> the, the air nomads because he's, he's so upset with all of the, like the, as he says, he's too young or he's too old to go back to boot camp. Yeah. Um, but I kind of like the, the, like the push pull between their t- two different leading uh, leadership philosophies and how, in the end, it's sort of a middle ground. Yeah, I like how uh, it, it works out. Neither one of them necessarily could train these uh, uh, this new generation of airbenders, but I think together they complement each other. In fact, this episode did something important, which they've done a couple other times. Um, it, the, when we first meet Boomy, it is impossible to imagine how this person became a serious admiral or general or whatever mm-hmm. in the Republic Army. But this is one of those episodes that actually shows him as pretty capable and competent when he's not being a dumbass. Yeah. He, he leads a very successful attack in this and does not have entirely bad ideas. So I, I appreciate that because I think they, they uh, went a little too far with the Boomy's a moron thing mm-hmm. early on for him for it to be plausible for him to have had the background that he had. So yeah. I like that they got past that. Plus, we get, um, he gives us one of my favorite little artistic flourishes or whatever that they've done a few times in this series, which is the slide out of frame, 
Like any time, I think it's I think it's almost always been Tenzin that does it, but in this it's Boomy, where the character, when a character just gets a weird look on their face and just slides slowly out of frame. I love it every time they do that. It's so goofy, but cracks well, me wasn't up. Wasn't this the Wasn't this the same episode where Kai like slides yes. behind oh, one of the other air nomads? My God, so they you're did right. it twice in one episode. Dang, I forgot about that. And you're right; it's always funny. Yeah. I laugh every time. It is like the most obvious of like old school animation jokes. Mm-hmm. And I still laugh every time. Uh, speaking of Kai, that lovable little scamp, Arlo, um, you, you've had issues with Kai in the past. How do you feel about him now? Are you starting to warm up to him or do you still wish that he would fall into a Sarlacc pit? Did I have issues with Kai? Like, did I, did I really dislike Kai? I, you, you seemed like you, was it you or Eric? Which one of you had issues with Kai? Ar- Arlo's has slid straight into alternative facts mode again. Oh, okay. See. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm sorry. I'm still weeping over the Bowling Green massacre. Okay. Yeah. I can't. I can't stay focused. I. I, I genuinely don't remember. I. I know that I. I thought he was a shit at first because he, he's a little thief. Uh-huh. But. I, I don't, uh, and he he tries to be, he tries his best to be a bad influence on Janora here, mm-hmm. um, and pays the price when he, uh, you know, is uh, confronted by the Mama Bison. But I don't know. I don't think he's so bad. Okay. All right. All right. I would consider that. I consider that progress. Yeah. Not quite the uh, Zuko turnaround, but Kai is no Zuko. So. <laughs> very true. That's very true. Um, let's see. What else did we get in this episode? Oh, we, we've... Speaking of... Real quick, speaking of Kai, I did like, Kai, that's enough. An airbender never attacks a defenseless opponent. But that was very good technique. Yeah. (laughs) Um, see, I guess some people would probably complain that this makes him a, uh, I hate the term Mary Sue, but makes him a Mary Sue or a Marty Sue or whatever. Uh, the fact that we watch all of these other new airbenders, these new recruits, they really struggle with all this stuff. And it it seems to come supernatural to Kai. Um, but I kind of like that. Well, you know what's cool is that uh, Mary Sue is bullshit and doesn't mean anything, so we can just ignore it. Okay. Good idea. Yeah. It's, 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 it's functionally useless as a concept. Okay. All right. So there we go. I'm glad we were. I'm Just glad like we worked American through that. Democracy. <laughs> I'm glad we worked through that. Um, and, and let's be honest: if we're going to call someone a Mary Sue this season, it's not Kai; it's fucking Zahir. <laughs> Zahir is the Mary Sue of the entire Avatar universe. Good point. I love any world where um, we get to refer to Henry Rollins as a Mary Sue. That's that's a good world, as far as I'm concerned. I think I think this is my peak in this podcast. <laughs> Yo, I feel like the work has been done now. Um, so uh, I really did like though that that battle where the Airbenders, you know, start you know Boomies leading them to rescue Kai and Janora from the Bison poachers or the Bison rustlers. Uh-huh. And I think my favorite moment of that was. Um, one of the rustlers shoots a net to capture Daw. Yeah. And it goes into slow motion and Daw just like feels the ripples of the wind at the back of his head. And he, he manages to, to turn around and dodge the 
the net. And I just really liked how that was visualized, how they slowed it down. They showed like, like the, 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 like the, what am I trying to say? Like the it's outline like a of it. line of ripple. It's, it's actually a really amazing effect. Like it just like this little, this little like line goes over the top of his head. Uh, yeah, they, it's, they do that in the next episode too. I mean, it's not, not the same. It's not someone's bald head rippling, but, uh, they, there's a moment, <laughs> there's a moment in the next episode where an action beat goes into cuts into slow motion. Um, while you watch one of the characters figure out what's happening. But yeah, yeah I liked it. And then I like the authority with which uh, Daw spoke after when he was talking to the others. Something like, you know, if. Uh, Without had... my shaved head, I, I never could have dodged that net. I really felt it coming at me. You guys should totally get shaved. <laughs> yes, you should totally get shaved. I, I feel like you stole one of Paul's closing quotes with that one, just for the record. No, it, it's, oh, no, 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 it's fine. It, it's it was on the list, but I, it's, I, don't think it was, <laughs> I knew it was on the list. Don't I knew think it's, how you said it. Yes. I don't think it was the one I was going to go with. Well, not to ruin another one, but there was a really good Milo quote in this episode. Uh huh. Wait, what is this on your list? It is, but go ahead. Do it. Do you have Do you have others? I, oh, yeah. No, I've got plenty. Go ahead. Okay. All right. So he, uh, you know, Tenzin decides he's done trying to train them. He tells Janora that she'll be the, the, the master. Janora flips out because she can't get her tattoo, which, by the way, hashtag tattoo watch. Oh, no. can't believe that didn't occur to me before i can't believe it didn't occur to me i was not on watch for tattoo watch i am i am so ashamed uh, all, all this episode needed was biling um <laughs> but, uh, so then janora flips out tells her dad off storms off and that leaves milo to be in charge i don't know why the line of succession doesn't go to icky well it was it was both of them it was like you two oh, it was both of them. yeah they, okay. they both and and even uh even Icky, which that's such a weird name. Even Icky had kind of a a mischievous little smile on her face when that happened. But well, I, Milo is like, um, what, like like an Alex from Clockwork Orange level sadist. I feel. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. Yeah. He's he's a bald little fascist, <laughs> and it, he steps up, and he's like, "Look to your left. Look to your right. One of those people will not make it out of here alive." Like Milo relishes like any opportunity to fucking like punish people or destroy them, which is hilarious. He's a little monster. It's hilarious, but seriously, how the fuck did Tenzin give birth to this kid? Tenzin and Pema. Yeah, yeah. Did you see the look Pema gives Tenzin in this episode? I think that that I know where Milo. <laughs> <laughs> when when she complains about the the bed was so hard, and he's like, actually, it's much better for your back. Yes, which which Tenzin totally deserved that look, but I I think that Milo got this the distilled version of that look is Milo. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking I of, do like that we, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I, I do like that. I I guess I quote unquote like the fact that we find out we, the Earth Queen becomes even more repulsive. Yeah, that's exactly that's where absurd. I was going. That's exactly where I was yeah. going. Yeah. Because uh, we find out that 
she, like, the Earth Queen and her fancy friends pay big money for bison steaks and other rare meats. I even heard she ate her dad's pet bear. That's seriously fucked. Mm-hmm. I, I had I had to go into an entire explanation of how animals work in Avatar and how weird it was that he has a bear and why a bear was weird. <laughs> Aaron, I was like, all right, so all the animals in Avatar are hybrids or weird, and it was weird that the Earth King just had a bear, and so. They <laughs> ate the bear. So she, I guess did she guess follow? Did she follow along with Oh yeah, Aaron was right there with it. So no, no confusion. It was just filling in backstory that she hadn't seen before. Right. She was like, "Oh, okay." And then from that point forward, she was trying to guess what animals were. You you know what goes un uh, undiscussed, I guess. Or so obviously, the Earth Queen is a terrible person um, because she eats sky bison and other rare meats like like her father's bear, poor Bosco. Um, but at least the poacher, maybe he was just trying to scare the kids. I don't know. But uh, he said something like, uh, we'll take you to the queen along with the the rest of the meat or whatever. So there's just a little, I mean, I don't think this show would ever, we talk about how Avatar and then this show have both gone to some dark places. I'm not sure they would go quite into cannibal level of darkness, but. That's because we haven't gotten to the Adult Swim revival yet. Yeah, yeah. The the next that's when shit hits the fan. The next spinoff, uh, an adult Milo will be the lead, and there will absolutely be cannibalism involved. <laughs> he will he will feast on the flesh of his enemies. That's right. Yeah. Um, let's see. I, w- I want to read like a comic book series like Milo Max. <laughs> oh, that's great! Like it's, Milo would totally just be like a like a borderline serial killer yes. as an adult. It would, it would just be like it would be the comic book equivalent of uh, Solo or the hun- or 120 Days of Sodom. It would just be that. <laughs> but with air wow. Um, we had dark day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so how did we feel about the? So this was a standalone episode, and it, it felt like. Um, it was sort of a a breather. We got to step away from the the larger arc uh, that's going on, that's running through the through book three. Um, there was no Zaheer. There were there were no like uh, Cora herself was barely in it. She was barely in it. She she did have a good line though. She uh, had a line that sort of calls back to a line uh, from Aang. I think in. I don't, I'm not going to remember the episode, but in uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, Aang at one point had the line, helping people, it's what I do. And uh, so here Korra says, conflict resolution, that's what I do. Yes. That that radio scene, by the way, um, well, this is one of those Eric put a pen in this conversation later, but the scene that may be, for me, the funniest scene in all of Avatar um, it involves a radio split screen technique like they do there. It mm-hmm. won't be until season four, but oh, um, okay. there's the, but that's what I actually thought. We like my brain jumped ahead to like, Oh, I remember a funny scene when I, when that radio split screen came on, <laughs> it was a little distracting because I was imagining that scene. I can't remember what you're referring to, but uh, now we're on tattoo and uh, split screen radio watch. You have, has, have you ever actually? I, I feel like my when I think of something in the future, my attempts to be oblique to not spoil anything for anyone at, just ends up confusing you. I don't know if you've ever listened to me say one of these. Hey, coming up, there's going to be statements, 
and actually been like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, I, there probably have been, but like the big ones, like your uh, your midichlorian bending uh, comment from when we were still in Avatar: The Last Airbender, that confused me. Like, uh, and then I don't remember what the other one. There was one in an earlier uh, book of Korra that you brought up, and I that also puzzled me. I can't yeah. remember what it was. But. It was really good at being confused, which is good. It means I'm definitely not spoiling anyone. You're being, yeah. you're being just vague enough to be both interesting and absolutely maddening, which is just like an, a, a, a mythology episode of The X-Files. There you go. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a running theme for this, um, for this uh, podcast. Yeah. Chris Carter is a ghostwriter on this podcast. The, the the last thing I'll the last thing I'll say about this episode is I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good, but then I think it went just a little too far at the end. What what With, about the end? I liked how the the so you know the original Airbenders in the title are the Bison, right? And you know Tenzin says you know the Bison recognize their own kind because now the Bison are getting along with the Air Nomads. And then the baby bison start flying. I was like, okay, I get it. Okay, that's yep. That's I already I already got the the point. But okay, I get it. This is a visualization of that point. And then Tenzin goes, I guess everyone is growing up. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I, I, three times, you know, hammer to nail. I don't think I had quite that big of an eye roll reaction, but I do remember thinking, did we, did he need to say that? But yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a little on the nose for, for the show. Not, not to the point where I would have pointed it out like hater Arlo Wiley, but um, <laughs> I'll take it. I am a hater. Um, okay. Uh, the next two. So that one was kind of a standalone episode, which I, I think it was all right for us to, to single it out. Although I do want to ask you, Arlo, um, did it feel particularly standalone? Uh, what I'm getting at is, did that feel like an X-Files Monster of the Week kind of episode? Or do you see any ties to the larger story? Do you think that there's there was anything in that that uh, was significant? Well, shit, now I feel like this is a pop quiz, like I should have been studying. Um, I mean, I, I guess it, it, it furthers... Um, the the relationship the Tenzin's relationship with his family, which has been a big running theme throughout the series. Um, I don't know if I picked up on anything plot wise. I mean, I get you know it's it's important because it shows you know Tenzin in cooperation with Boomy figuring out how to train the Air Nomads and the Air Nomads coming together, um, and it also reveals another layer of the Earth Queen's evil. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's how I guess there are more like thematic tie ins. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Um, there was no fluke, man. No. Well, not not that you saw. Just wait. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's move on. So the the next two chapters um, are they're kind of like part one and part two, basically. So we, we could discuss both of them as a unit if you'd like. I think I have no problem with that. Okay, so that's uh, chapter three hundred eight, the terror within, and three hundred nine, the stakeout. So, Arlo. And in, uh, oh. one thing that interests me is that uh, episode three hundred nine, the stakeout, is the first episode uh, to only be released on the Nickelodeon website. Yeah. Or well, it was originally, it originally aired on the website, um, 
months after the fact, like after the entire thing uh, season was done, they did air it on Nickelodeon. Oh, okay. But um, yeah, for for first run viewers, this was the uh, the stakeout was the episode where uh, Nickelodeon decided that uh, yeah we're not going to put this on TV anymore. That's horrible that's, jerks. That's so strange. I mean, there was a we've we've alluded to it before. It was the fact that uh, uh, I think it's called M- Mundo Nick was the Mexican Nickelodeon uh, thing that I, I uh, referenced before. They leaked was it was it three three or six? I can't remember. They leaked several episodes, and it threw uh, the american nickelodeon production company into a tizzy like they started scrambling they started rushing to get everything out so all this stuff was coming out uh, two or three episodes at a time um i don't know i don't know why i'm not entirely sure what they were so scared of um i i I don't know what the panic was there but they well i would i would imagine cora's core audience um was probably pretty piracy savvy yeah, yeah, which I mean that just makes it even more confusing to me. But so the reason that they cited for um no longer airing uh first run episodes and taking it just to the web to online uh was poor ratings. Like it was it really was getting crappy ratings by this point. But uh a lot of people maintain and I think it makes total sense um that the reason for that is their panicked reaction to the leaked episodes meant that they did not that most of the the built-in audience was barely aware that the show had started. Uh, they they gave I think it was less than a week's notice that the series was going to premiere that the season was going to premiere, um, and then episodes were just getting dropped like left and right. There there was just no marketing, um, and so the audience that was definitely out there and was you know rabid for the series they just weren't getting the heads up. Um, and so ratings were plummeting, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the, Hmm. the question is, um, even at that time, that was, uh, what was that? 2010? I can't remember. Now I have to look. I don't remember what year this stuff was airing, but anyways, it was, it's definitely within the, the era of, uh, pirating and, and, uh, this, this was airing in, uh, 2014, 14. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I just I, I've I've never understood why they were so panic stricken about it, why they couldn't uh, just continue with the the release format that they already had, and you know why they had to suddenly rush stuff. Um, the answer is simple, yeah. which is that Nickelodeon is bad. <laughs> I suppose, although they did actually give us this in the first place, so they're not they're not completely irredeemable. But um, is is this one of those situations like? Um... Like the uh, WB and Buffy and Angel where like a new person came on and was just annoyed that there was some other show that they didn't green light and decide to cut it um, because I don't know. I'll be honest. It kind of feels like that sort of like cutting it loose mm-hmm. situation like I, that. Anyways, maybe that's not what happened, but it has that like internal network politics mm-hmm. feel yeah. to it. Yeah, I don't know. I could say you could say that there was an enemy within. Oh, look at that! <laughs> <laughs> All right, Arlo, what uh, what were your thoughts on these two? 
my first thought is everyone knew Iway was the bad guy, right? <laughs> like that was super obvious to like everyone. I actually can't remember how I felt the first time watching it. I'll I'll be honest. I um I had forgotten he was the bad guy until the scene when he um pin tries to pin it on that yeah. poor soldier. Then I was like, oh right, 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 he's the bad guy in this. But I actually had you did you guessed it before then? Well, I, I guessed it shortly before he actually tried to pin it on someone when he was going when he was interrogating everyone. It occurred to me, I was I was like, he's the only one who knows if he's telling the truth. Right. Um, and he did kind of seem like a dick in every other episode. Like, I bet he's going to try to blame someone else for it. And sure enough, he did. <laughs> it's pretty classic, like, storytelling technique to be like, to set up this, this character who can determine lies. And, you know, that be the Chekhov's gun. I guess he was the Chekhov's gun of this plot, basically. Yeah. We had so, a... W- th- this episode also gave us a Chekhov, Chekhov's uh, pebble. It did! <laughs> um, I thought that was actually really well set up when they yeah. when they got to that point. And he actually had to... Especially, especially because we already knew what a pebble does to a combustion vendor. Right. Yeah. So I actually really like that it's like Chekhov's pebble, but we have already know what a pebble should do. So we don't, but we don't connect it. Even as like fans, when that pebble moment happens, it doesn't feel like it's setting up an attack on a combustion person. But no. anyways, I think that was very, very well. It's almost like Chekhov's gun, but it's also like a callback. Mm-hmm. Just very, very clever. Anyways. That was All right, Arlo, aside from the very obvious, uh, I weigh as Dr. Yui uh, element. Though for a second, I also thought it might have been Varric. Oh, man. (laughs) Because, look, look, I love Varric. Varric has also done some really bad shit and has shown no remorse for it. (laughs) And it did kind of, it seemed for a second like they, like, the the show was trying to throw viewers off of Iway's scent by having it appear that Varric was trying to like incriminate Iway to throw the scent off of himself. But that I mean that didn't last very long. That would have been an interesting tack to take. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I was just glad because we got more Varric. This was a this was a really strong Varric episode, wasn't it? It was. It really was. I mean we have that really fantastic airbender detector joke. <laughs> Why do you expect it to work? <laughs> she has to airbend into it. <laughs> <laughs> and then honestly, his whole description where he does implicate Iway was classic. That's what I would do. That's what you did do. Oh, oh, like what you did to me? Yes, just like that. Remember how great that worked? Well, not for you. <laughs> <laughs> Kid, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Arlo. Sorry. Kid, can I give you relationship advice? Uh, no. <laughs> Your loss. Yes. <laughs> Probably the, the the smartest uh, decision that uh, Bolin has ever made in the run of the show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> also, him collecting pumice stones for his feet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Poor Julie. At nope. We always knew Julie was was both underappreciated and poorly treated by her boss. 
But boy, did we not know the depths of it. <laughs> I, I, Julie is not is not appropriately treated. No, I'm not. I am not okay with poor Julie's situation. Hashtag I just free Julie. <laughs> I just love Varric. Varric is I, amazing. I, he's just he's fantastic. Why isn't he in every episode? Why isn't he the main character of the show? <laughs> <laughs> or better question, why don't they just kick Mako out of the group and replace him with Varric? Would anyone miss Mako? Oh, come on. All right, uh, this is a this is a great question because um I don't think we've had this conversation on the show before, but Mako in the the larger fan base, I think Mako is the one that gets uh that gets sort of singled out as as the expendable one on the team. So, clearly you feel the same way, Arlo. Eric, what, what he... do you think? Okay. No, go ahead. I want I want Arlo to make his expendable case. It's just like I, I I get it in in terms of ability. He's not expendable. Like he's a he's a detective. He's smart. He's he has he's calm and rational. He's also super boring. There's not a single distinctive thing about Mako. I don't hate him because in order to hate him, there would have to be something to hate instead of the nothing that is Mako. Wow. Whoa, that was way more intense than I was expecting. See, yeah. I'm glad I waited for that. <laughs> um, no, I, I actually like Mako, and I'm not going to make a really strong case. I, don't, I mean, if you if you forced me to do the ranking thing, I, I doubt Mako would rank very high in the list of main characters on this show, but that's actually, for me, more a testament to how good the characters are in the show than an indictment of Mako. I like Mako um, for two things, and actually, this this ep- the second episode uh, Stakeout has a great moment describing this. But Mako fills the role like late series Angel, where it the like half the thing is the joke about what a brooding, mm-hmm. um, boring dolt he is, mm-hmm. and so Mako gets to absorb those jokes, which I like, and we get lots of things like earlier in the season when um, Asami and Korra bond over, um, well, basically Mako being an adult mm-hmm. and them having dated him, um, kind of seals that home. But what I like is that his being boring is actually the, an asset to the team, too. So it's not like a superfluous failure. So they're on the stakeout and they're like, where did Iway go? He must have left, whatever. And, and he's like, no, he was there 15 minutes ago in the window. I wrote it in my book. <laughs> Yes, which that (laughs) seemed that that line delivery that seemed like it was meant to be a like there should have been a a rim shot or a a laugh track. And I I love the fact that it was just played straight because that's who Mako is. Yeah, like and I like that it is both the absolute right cop thing to do. Like he is 100 percent being an amazing cop by doing that. But it's also the most boring possible thing. So I. (laughs) I like that. I like the. I like that his boringness is actually a benefit to the team. Because let's face it, being a really good straight arrow cop, he makes you probably pretty boring. So, see, I agree with all that. Uh, the reason I like Mako is uh, because I like the the brother team of Mako and Belin. I I that's like a good, the that's two. A great call out, Paul. I, I'm sad I missed that. That's a really good point. I, I like them as siblings. I like the brother relationship between the two of them. Without Mako, if you only had Bolin, Bolin would be great. He'd be funny. But you know, 
if we went back to Avatar, if you didn't have Katara and only had Sokka, Sokka would be great. I we probably still would have loved Sokka, but I he wouldn't have been the same character if he didn't have the the much more straight-laced sibling to play off of. So that's what Mako and Bolin are. If we only had Bolin, his his you know you know good good-hearted buffoon uh, status would it might wear thin or whatever but it's just nice to see that sibling dynamic between the two of them especially in moments like the pajama fight which we absolutely have to talk about i'm i'm head over heels in love with the pajama fight but i just love that you go from mako is boring uh and you know if if they wrote him off the show i wouldn't miss him and bolin is is just complete uh, goofball who doesn't know how to deal with women and then all of a sudden you get this fight scene where it clicks and now they are both useful productive <laughs> members of the team and you see that they are more than just the the stick in the mud and the goofball you're they're basically they are like the odd couple embedded in the mere middle of this series right and you won't, don't want either one of them gone because Oscar on his own is boring and Felix on his own would be too crazy. Maybe it's the other way around. I can't remember the odd couple that well, but they would be either one of them would be too leaning too far in the other direction to be useful. But together there's, there's important stuff there. And I agree like that battle, the pajama fight is great. Another moment that Aaron was, um, she looked up from her cross stitch when that started and she was like, ha, one of them has horizontal underpants. The other one has vertical striped <laughs> underpants. And Holy shit! I don't think I don't think I noticed that detail. I genuinely don't think that stood out to me. Aaron is like the master at put, at finding whatever detail is going on in a scene. So yes, the I can't I don't know which one has the horizontal, which one has the vertical, but one has horizontal striped underwear and the other one has vertical striped underwear. That's in that awesome. Pajama scene. That's awesome. So. Uh, uh, okay, so I I, I just want to say. I don't hate Mako or anything. <laughs> I there we I, go. He's got right. he's you're got to walk it back. You're absolutely right. That's a very good point. That they together, they, you know, it's one does not work without the other. But they could make him a little more interesting. But 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 could they? <laughs> yes, they could. What would they do? What what would a more interesting Mako look like to you? I I don't know. All right. I was just curious. I was just because for me, I feel like a more interesting Mako actually is a different Mako and doesn't serve the same purpose in this odd couple relationship with Bolet. Like what you mean by more interesting? I actually don't think he's boring. I think he's a valuable character. Um, But if you take away the stability, like his evenness, his attention to detail, all the things that that Bolin isn't in order to ramp up like an interest level for him, you may actually destroy what makes him worthwhile i i will say um a little bit to, to arlo's point here i guess i kind of understand it doesn't bother me like mako doesn't bother me i'm never particularly bored by him or whatever but i can see where where it would feel like mako's sort of original purpose was to be the the love interest for cora and then you know we had the whole love triangle stuff it, it just maybe it feels a little bit like he's lost. Like he doesn't now that he's not with either one of those girls. And at least at this point in the story, we've gotten the, you know, we've gotten the jokes that you mentioned, Eric, where, where Cora and Asami sort of bond over how goofy it is. He's acting around both of them now. 
we seem to move, have moved beyond that. So, um, and he's, I mean, I guess he's technically still a police officer, I guess. Uh, he's definitely still a police officer. I mean, he was there on, um, uh, along with, um, uh, not Sue. Lynn. Lynn. Yeah. With Lynn. So he's still serving in his capacity as a cop. Yeah, but but we're not in Republic City, so he's not like on the force and we're not watching him. So, I mean, you have moments like this episode where we get to see him kind of lead an investigation. It's really it's really quick, but it's nice to see that. But beyond that, I mean, they even kind of made fun of it uh, when we first met in the episode where we first met Kai. I can't remember the name of the episode, but when um, they're putting on that little performance for the crowd and Mako gets to just be the the firebending villain that that happens to be in the crowd that the airbenders get to take out remember that um i i do like it in these episodes yeah. when uh when bolin ha- bolin and mako are putting on the, uh, the 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 outfits so they can go uh try and hunt down iway and bolin's giving himself this crazy elaborate backstory and he he asks mako what's your backstory he just goes i'm a cop I don't have a backstory. Exactly. Oh, you're good at this. Yeah. The, the, so, do either of you watch Brooklyn Nine Nine? Yeah. 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 I was I, like, I was I like, used to. Was was Mike sure watching Avatar and saw the scene and thought that's Peralta? Yeah. Game on. Yeah. Yeah. Because that scene was pure Peralta Holt. Like that is, you could literally write, take the exact dialogue from that scene and drop it into Brooklyn Nine Nine, and it would be a Peralta Holt scene. Yeah. I so agree. I, I'm Good just going to headcanon that Peralta was <laughs> was inspired by this moment of Bolin coming up with a backstory yeah. and and Mako just going, I'm a cop. I don't need a backstory. Excellent. Um, I all like right. it. Uh, pajama fight. Do we, we have to say words about the pajama fight. This, this whole – everything about this sequence is great. And, I, and actually it even solves – or at least addresses temporarily one of my big problems with the bad guys. It's such a good sequence. How so? So, you know, my problem um, with the the Zaheer especially, but the whole gang, is that there's a degree to which they are maybe a little overpowered Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in order to be terrifying. And the standard narrative dealing with an overpowered group would be that they would walk into Zaufu, and even if they didn't get Korra, they would have a very like I'm trashing these people kind of moment, which would totally undermine what Zaufu is supposed to be. Suddenly you would no longer see Zaufu as be and these metal benders as being remotely threatening or interesting or whatever. They would just be punks for the bad guys to whip around. But as soon as they get caught, as soon as the gang gets found out and the metal benders come out, they get pinned down. Yeah. These guys are extremely tough. They're very dangerous it does not take away from the threat of the villains at all to have this happen, but by making them get into a situation where they are now in over their heads and can't pull off their objective and be legitimate. It wasn't like a stupid trick that got rid of them. Like It is um, overpowering force and tactics that get the good guys to this point. And because of that, it slightly constrains that group's power, which grounds the reality of their threat. They are still immensely terrifying but now that we've just had a little bit of grounding we know they do have limits mm-hmm. that they can't just march into anywhere i actually think it makes them more effectively scary as a group of bad guys well said i com- i completely agree i love the fact that um they they are put on the ropes 
um, and that Zaheer does get separated, like, you know, just, just one metal bending, one of the metal benders manages to yank him away from the rest of the group. So he has to fight by himself way over here. Um, I love the fact that he, they're so set back. They're so like, uh, just caught off guard or whatever. They're so back on their heels by this whole thing that Zaheer for, for, maybe the first time since we've met the character uh like is actually frustrated like he's struggling to to uh to keep this fight going and he's super frustrated that they're about to lose the avatar yep and it we... really works i mean i feel like i feel like i am ready for more of them kicking ass again because i believe it now yeah and i am a i'm i think i've said this before i'm a massive sucker for uh team building like like examples of a team coming together and and just gelling and working like a well-oiled machine um and i love the fact that these people it's the middle of the night and these people are in their their pajamas i love that and i love how um like on the on the ball mako and bolin are they they rush out and they raise the alarm and they kind of hold their own for a couple of seconds before anybody else gets there and I don't know the whole thing when uh, I can't remember if combustion man could, could arc the trajectory of his explosions. Did he ever do that? I don't think so. Okay. Did, did he do that? Um, no, no, I, that? no, I, I don't think he did. Okay. So police is again, not only is she an overpowered badass cause she's a combustion bender, but she can shoot around corners. Um, but I love the, the shot when, um, when Su Yin and uh, her, her sons wing and way when they show up uh they sort of join the fray by our our guys are about to get taken out by one of those uh corner shots from poli and all of a sudden a, a metal plate raises up into position and blocks that shot and that's uh su yin joining the battle uh, yeah it's this is a great team battle it's it's and and you get the micro teams like you get one of the things you had mentioned before which was um bolin and mako's camaraderie and this is this is the the two people that were able to anchor an amazing um pro bending team yeah they they have they have that um nearly nonverbal um ability to work together and to know what the other one's going to do and to protect each other and work in concert and so even when they're pinned down, they're working really well together. And, it, and it's, it's a testament to the visual aspects of the show that that is conveyed entirely with their fighting style. Yeah. This is a cool sequence. It's amazing. It's really- it is, yeah. It's amazing. And uh, it's in a confined geographic location uh, that I feel like is, is well laid out. Like the... the the set design or whatever of this uh, arena that they're fighting in, I think is it's easy to follow you. It's easy to know who's who is where. And um, um, when the, when the lava moat appears and the smoke starts filling the air, I don't know. It's just so perfectly constructed. Possibly one. I know I say this probably with every fight that we (laughs) we get on the show, but at the moment, possibly my favorite fight sequence on the show. I I just, I love this one so much, but um, Anyways, we can, we can move on. Arlo, what, uh, what else about this episode? What else did we get here? Um, well, I, I think the big thing is that we find out that uh, Zaheer and his brotherhood of evil benders uh, are actually, uh, they call themselves the Red Lotus. 
Yeah, they finally get a name. Yeah. Uh, we find out that uh, they were sort of an offshoot of the White Lotus in that, in Zaheer's view, the White Lotus at a certain point just became glorified um, bodyguards for the Avatar and had abandoned their true purpose. Mm-hmm. So they became the Red Lotus. And I actually really like the fact that Unalak ties into this because it makes Unalak slightly interesting. It's sort of, I mean, one thing, it sort of back um, justifies the fact that he was remotely a threat in the first place. Mm -hmm. Right. But it does. I actually, the thing is, in some ways, it also makes... The fact that Unalak's plan makes no sense uh, a little more easy to deal with because it's his own fever dream version of a plan that actually did make sense at one time. Uh-huh. Exactly, yeah. His the, Zaheer even says Unalak becoming a dark avatar was never the goal. Yeah. Which is good because, seriously, dark avatar, that was really fucking stupid. <laughs> Do, don't um, you wonder if that was a... a th- an idea maybe that Unalak had ever just sort of floated around Zaheer just to see, <laughs> so, just to sort of test so what, the waters. What would, you, what would you think if I was like, if, if, I, if I was like a, a dark avatar? Wait, what, <laughs> what did you say? Dark, you know, avatar, but a dark one? No. No. <laughs> never mind. Never mind. I was just, I, I was just, spit, I was just spitballing. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just imagining the Red Lotus sitting around like smoking weed. <laughs> And like Unalak every time being like, what about Dark Avatar? (laughs) You know, I I like the uh, the reveal that the Red Lotus exists and that and his claim that um, the you know, the the White Lotus lost its way. They became glorified bodyguards for the Avatar uh, sort of addresses a thing that that. I, I don't think we ever spoke about this, so Arlo, you can tell me if, if you felt this way, but I think when I very first started watching Korra, from the, from the very first episode of Korra, when we saw that the White Lotus basically had now become uh, bodyguards, part of me, this was all subconscious, this was all subliminal, part of me was like, well, that's kind of cool, because the, we know the White Lotus from Avatar The Last Airbender, we know that, that, was I, that Iroh was a member of the White Lotus, um, actually all those old geezers were like members of the white Lotus. Um, so that's kind of cool. They're, they're front and center now they're, they've taken on an active role. And then another part of me was like, but wait, no, the white Lotus were cool. Cause they were a secret society. So even at the very beginning, there was just some unspoken feeling of, this isn't quite right that, uh, that the white Lotus now are just, yeah, they're just bodyguards. So there's a part of you that was like feeling Zaheer's um, yeah. disappointment in the White Lotus. Then, yeah, exactly. I was. I, I'm. <laughs> I'm hearing the sort of uh, Red Lotus call to action a little bit. So, Arlo, did you ever feel any of that, or did that ever cross your mind that it was weird for the White Lotus? That, that had never occurred to me. I think it's because perhaps I forgot what the White Lotus's true nature was. Mm-hmm. Um, I just. I, I looking at it now on the uh, Avatar wiki, you know, it says the Order of the White Lotus is an ancient and formerly secret society that transcends the boundaries of the four nations, seeking philosophy, beauty, and truth. They are devoted to the sharing of ancient knowledge across national and political divides. I just remembered them as that group of cool old guys. <laughs> like I didn't really 
yeah, it didn't really cross my mind to consider that they had sort of switched up their agenda. What's really interesting about this for me, and honestly, although that tracks with my first time through, and the whole Red Lotus splitting off the White Lotus thing didn't really track for me as anything. It just felt like like one of those like hand-wavy villain motivation things the first time through. But watching this again, I actually really can see how Zaheer's impression of the White Lotus is the way that it is, given that the White Lotus in their day were the like the anti-centralized power group. Like right. they were there to try to bring down the Fire Nation. Now they were doing it for a specific reason. It wasn't um it wasn't for like a more uh diffuse goal of well then then we can be the world we could be kind of thing that that Zaheer has going on with him but you can see how he thought like these guys used to be the check on power and now they're part of the power like it actually is a it is not an insane reasoning for him to have gotten to that point and seen the white lotus that way so i actually i dug it this time i missed that last time and that really that really clicked for me this time not that i'm not that I'm behind to hear here, but I, I get it. It sounds to me like you're both very supportive of Zaheer right now. You both are like, yeah, the White Lotus. Yeah, those fuckers you know, abandoned their purpose. Like, that's that's what I'm hearing right now. You hey, guys. hey, I'm sorry, Arlo. Are you if if you sat down with Zaheer and he was like, I think that the Earth Queen is corrupt and want to be rid of her. You wouldn't go. Got a point, man. OK, but. He even uh, he even says in in this episode. Hold on, I oh you've had to deal with the moronic president and a tyrannical queen. Don't you think the world would be better off if leaders like them were eliminated? And the answer is yes. Those particular leaders, it would be good for them to to be gotten rid of, but there still needs to be leadership. Because see, see, but Arlo, the natural order is disorder. I was about to mention that because see, here is actually right in that we, as a society, or the the does the Avatar world have its own name, or is it just like uh, the the four kingdoms? I guess I don't think there has been. Okay, you, you well, mean, you mean like is it called Earth? Is that what you're? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know what to refer to it as like it's is it middle earth or what, what the fuck is it <laughs> i was just i don't the world of avatar so so yeah so you know the the world of avatar has imposed a uh, government and order on what is naturally disorder but i think you i mean i, I think order is what's necessary and this sounds a lot like i'm saying you know, i'm trying to uphold law and order which i'm not but Anarchy is not the way. Okay. Right. So actually, but let's okay. Actually, let's stop for a second, Carl. I actually like this this discussion, but I'm I feel like this is the first time in this series that we've gotten a really clear um, statement that what Zahir is about is not just like Jokerish chaos, but an actual like ideological anarchy. Yeah. What do you? How does that? How, what do you think of that about as, as a villain motivation? Like, I'm just curious. Like, what? How did that play for you? Maybe, you, maybe this has been already been made clear enough to you earlier that this had already hit. But I don't think we really talked about it. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. I think it's a really interesting 
motivation. I think my favorite part of these two episodes was probably his conversation in the spirit world with Korra, where he was just laying everything out on the table. Like, these are my beliefs. This is what, you know, I I believe the, the true order of things is. I found that very interesting. I don't agree with him, but I find it very interesting. I agree. I actually, what I like about Zaheer as a villain this time that I didn't appreciate last time is that I made a Joker reference before, but primarily when we have anarchist villains in series, what they are are basically Joker-esque chaos worshippers. You know, they're like, they have like a cackling sense of like the order coming down and whatever. And, and what I like about Zaheer is he's not mad. He's not insane. He's not cackling it's not a sense of wanting destruction for everyone he has a legitimate ideological belief that anarchy would be better for people overall and not in a sick serial killer kind of way and we don't get that from villains a lot and i actually really like that zaheer is a hardcore thought-out anarchist with with airbender uh, ideology behind him yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so I had a couple questions I wanted to bring up, and we we've kind of already addressed one of them. I wanted to get to the whole idea of do. Now that we're starting to get a better idea of what Zahir's sort of philosophy is or ideology, do we have any kind of empathy or understanding for him? Well, Arlo. <laughs> Arlo dug right into that one, so I think maybe, <laughs> I think maybe we've we've answered that. Um, Arlo thinks Eric that you and I have some sort of sympathy for him, and and uh, Arlo doesn't. Now, now hold on. I, I do I do understand where he's coming from. Uh-huh. I I don't agree with him, but I understand his motivation, and I think it's actually a really great motivation for a villain to have. Um. From, okay. Well, so here's here's my next question, or the next part of the question is based on sort of the revelation that we've gotten now of the red lotus and what their what the grand philosophy is and the whole the only the, the only natural order is disorder and so on and so forth um what do what can we and and here i mean you arlo what can we surmise their purpose is what is what is their goal so we know that we now know that they were the ones responsible for for um well, I guess we did know that they were the ones that had tried to kidnap Korra, um, and we now know what that was. They were trying to kidnap her f- because Unalak wanted to use her to open the spirit portal. Well, the spirit portal's open, so it doesn't seem like that's what Zaheer and, and uh, the Red Lotus want with the Avatar anymore. So what, uh, based on what he has said so far, what do you think his end goal is? Do you have any idea, any guess? Hadn't he said earlier that he didn't want there to be an avatar? Am I misremembering that? I, like, didn't didn't he didn't he say he, that like pretty early I, on? I can't remember that that. Well, he said yeah no yeah he said an end of the White Lotus and an end of the Avatar. I think is what he said. Yeah. Okay. In the in the first scene. Okay. Yeah. So he wants to be rid of the Avatar because. I guess he sees the avatar as the ultimate uh, upholder of the establishment. I, I guess the notion of balance doesn't, doesn't coincide with the notion of chaos, I guess. Right. So why kidnap her then? Um, I don't know. Uh, um, that's fine. We're going to hold on to that. <laughs> uh, so, 
one of you, I can't remember what which one, just mentioned the fact that uh, I think it was you, Eric. You were talking about the fact that he's a he's an anarchist, uh, and he has he has a very uh, thought out anarchic philosophy, but that he's also so rooted in the the Airbender uh, precepts or whatever. Like he's clearly made a a lifelong study of Airbenders, and in this episode we get him we get the line where he uh, says. Hang on, let me find the quote. Uh, the natural order is disorder. Do you know who once said new growth cannot exist without first the destruction of the old? Uh, the wise guru Luhima, an airbender. Um, so his suggestion. So if Zahir is to be believed, what does that does that change our view of maybe the sort of the peaceful vegetarian agrarian uh hippie air nation well does it though because i mean well so now that starts to make sense because the air nomads were anarchists they were sort of socialist anarchists they they were nomads they did not have what seemed to be any kind of established social order it was a cultural order and you can tell when tenzin is teaching He's not teaching about – there isn't some government system mm-hmm. to reestablish with the air nomads. It's a cultural system. So in a certain way, the air nomads were living, and I bet Zahir would actually believe this, the sort of anarchist ideal. Mm-hmm. But like I said, when we go back to like the – it's not like a joker thing. It's where anarchy is about conflict. Like the air nomads were free. They lived a free life, Dan. So – uh, but is he is he taking it too far? Like, uh, obviously, the Air Nomads, I, I had never thought of it that way before. So thank you, Eric. That's <laughs> I love what I love that whole idea that they were living the the anarchist ideal. But um, that to the best of our knowledge, the Airbender, the Air Nations, uh, the Air Nomads were not about spreading their philosophy of anarchy like they didn't want to tear down other governments. I've got OK, so. In that this way, is Zahir the air nomad version of Fire Lord Ozai? Ah, hmm. I I would say so. Yeah. The the absolute extreme version of this is best for us, and thus this is best for the world. So, wh- which do you think came first for Zahir? Was he? fascinated by uh air nomad culture first and from studying that he developed this id this ideology of of anarchy and disorder or was he an anarchist um who because of that was drawn towards uh the the study of the air nomads he's so here's the guy in college who like reads nietzsche for the first time and suddenly understands everything and won't shut up about it on the couch. <laughs> and then, like, ten years later is, like, the most extreme, awful version of them. Like, you run into them later and you're like, holy shit, that, that didn't go away. He's, he's that person now. <laughs> anyway, so, which is to say, I bet he was an Air Nomad culture aficionado first. Mm-hmm. And then that led him, then he got hooked up with some anarchists and he came up with this whole philosophical system of anarchy. Okay. I like that's it. My and so, so if that's the case, then his receiving, like, airbending must have been, like, 
the the most exciting thing in the world for him. Yeah, I mean, he's. I can't remember if he's ever. Like how many how many awful boners do you think he got once he realized he could airbend? <laughs> oh, Jesus, how many awful anarchic boners? <laughs> Uh, if if you experience an erection lasting more than four months, please <laughs> please contact your doctor immediately. Um, so what the hell was I going to say? Um, yeah, I can't remember if he's ever said anything, if he's ever made a comment that that uh, sort of alluded to this, but it must have felt to him like some sort of divine. I mean, I, I'm I'm not sure that the uh, Air Nation has necessarily a concept of divinity or anything like that, but it must have felt kind of like divine providence or whatever. He spent his entire life studying uh, Air Nation culture, and uh, you know, then he's given these powers. So, I mean, can you just imagine if he had spent his entire life studying uh, airbending, uh, and then uh, harmonic convergence happened and he turned into an earthbender or whatever? <laughs> I mean, yeah. he must he must have felt that this legitimizes his entire philosophy, like everything right. he's studied and built towards. This is you know, the universe's way of saying, I, I appoint you. Like, I choose so, you. OK, so this is an interesting thing that I hadn't thought about until this. But um, we were talking earlier about like Zaheer had a plan before and that didn't happen. But they were captured immediately after they after they came up with that plan. And I don't think this is canon, so I'm just sort of bringing this up to go along with Paul's idea. Like, I don't think we get an answer on this, but whatever they're doing now was not the Red Lotus's plan. Right. Which means that Zaheer broke out of prison with whatever idea he's doing right now. This is Zaheer's new purpose. This would not have been a purpose. This would not be, this would not have been something that Zaheer would have been sitting around in his cave thinking about. Mm -hmm. Like, what he would be like what, based on what he wanted to do. Like, oh, I'm going to finish our plan. Like this is a here's plan. So anyways, to go along with what you said, Paul, like this does sort of work at, for him probably as a justification of yeah. he has a new purpose. He isn't done yet. Got and finish airbending man. Airbending man. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe it. This rewatch is making me, like Zaheer. Zaheer was my biggest problem, and I'm like... I, I actually liked Zaheer philosophically before, but I'm actually, like, way more behind Zaheer this time. I, I uh... Yeah. I, I think I said this before, but uh, we'll see what happens when Season 4 uh, rolls around. But at the moment, I feel like Zaheer has now become my favorite of the Korra villains. Like, I'm really fascinated by the conversations that we could have around Zaheer. And uh, since we're talking about spinoffs, we want to see. I want a. I want a Zaheer and the Red Lotus spinoff. Absolutely, the Red Lotus is fucking cool. Like, they're just they're just cool. Like I have like, I, I fundamentally disagree with their entire philosophy and goal, <laughs> but they're so cool. <laughs> um. All right, so we went really deep there in the whole Zaheer and Red Lotus thing, but. Uh, what else was there anything well, else we wanted to talk about well i i think i remember you telling me earlier on paul when i was having trouble accepting henry rollins's voice coming from zaheer's face uh -huh. that at a certain point it would make more sense uh -huh. and now that we get to hear you know saying the natural order is disorder and launching into his whole anarchic philosophy i'm like oh yeah that's totally henry rollins 
Yeah, yeah I, I had to really bite my tongue when you brought that up because I was like, this is the most Henry Rollins part. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there's no way of talking about it then. I, I, I love think, it. I think um, the the disconnect is that uh, Zaheer has always seemed so like this super powerful like man of action and he just seems like gravelly and overpowering and that's not really the voice that comes from uh that comes from henry rollins but when you see him sitting uh you know cross-legged in the spirit world just casually calmly reciting his philosophy of of anarchy yeah fuck yeah that is like that is straight up henry rollins you know what i love though is henry rollins would hate zaheer yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like it is, it is the absolute like inversion of like the kinds of things that seem of like a value to Henry Rollins. Like, it's absolutely connected, and there's no one better to be giving the voice to this character than Henry Rollins. But he would loathe Zaheer's application mm-hmm. of his thoughts. Totally. I want an interview about with Henry Rollins. Is there an interview out there with Henry Rollins talking about Zaheer? Because I think that wouldn't that be like. And I don't, and like for a long time, like I just want Henry Rollins to talk about his thoughts. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to search, <laughs> see if there is. But uh, um, I know, I can't remember if I mentioned this before, but uh, did I talk about the fact that he uh, insisted that he be allowed to uh, audition for the role? Really? Yeah. The, the, the thing was um, actors of, of his caliber or whatever, they usually have a, I can't, I, I can't remember what it's called now, but there's a, a clause basically that says you either hire them, like you either you either cast them for the role or you go somewhere else. I mean, they, they're not supposed to audition. If they create the character of Zaheer and they're like, you know what, I might like to hear Henry Rollins, his, uh, his uh, agent would say, well, then hire Henry Rollins, but he's not going to come in and read for you. But uh, Rollins was like, no, no, no. I want, I want to go up against other. Like he was really passionate about this, but he wanted to prove himself. Um, he didn't want to just be handed the role. He wanted to go in and and give a reading and and inhabit the character. That's so Rollins. <laughs> That's the show I want to see. That's so Rollins. <laughs> By the way, we'll, we'll we'll put a link in the show notes. But I found this is the only interview I can find with Henry Rollins discussing Zaheer. Um, the interviewer asks him, were you a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra before voicing Zaheer? To which Henry Rollins responds, I had never heard of it. Um, and then he's asked, how did you get the part of Zaheer and what were you told about the character before accepting the role? This is his answer. I have done a lot of work for the voice producer Andrea Romano. She told her people to put me in the line for casting. I talked to the people who were arranging the auditions, read the script, talked back and forth with them about the character, and then auditioned. I got the part and did the work. I have never seen an episode. I did enjoy working on the show and being such a smart yet ultimately misguided character. When I am doing the work, I am all the way in it. I had rehearsed every single line beforehand, made many notes, and by the time I went in, I had a definite idea of what I was after. As soon as it's done, I'm on to the next thing. Most things like that, voiceover stuff, which I've done a lot of, I have never seen the actual end product. Man. I, I love that he was that serious about making sure he was playing the case. He had notes and stuff, but but doesn't want to see the finished product. Like, that's fascinating to me. <laughs> and like he says, he's done a lot of voice work. And he just doesn't watch it. Hmm. Well, now I now I want to sit down with Henry Rollins and uh, let him watch 
book three of <laughs> Legend of Korra. I mean, Rollins, we're going to redo the Avatar Returns podcast for season three of Korra. Yeah. Will you, will, you, will you sit and watch with us? He would sit down. He would see Milo, and he would be so furious he'd record a new punk album about, you know, down with Milo. Down with the matches, <laughs> Milo. Uh, um, all right. But oh wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're not missing. We're gonna we're gonna totally miss um, one of the funniest jokes in the series this so far, which was the bounty hunters who turn out to be yeah fans. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, oh my gosh. Specifically, the woman being like, "I made this doll for you," <laughs> which is the most convention moment. That yeah. was beautiful. The um. Hang on, I, or, or keep talking. I I found a quote earlier. Uh, I think it was Brian Konitzko addressed. Appar- apparently, some fans were upset <laughs> about uh, the representation of fans. Because oh my of, God! Because of course they were. Wait, here it is. Here it is. So yeah, it's Konitzko. He says, uh, "I want to be clear that we never intended these Nucktuck fans to be any sort of a negative commentary on the actual wonderful real life Avatar and Korra fans. The thought hadn't even occurred to us until our network executive voiced a concern upon seeing the final animation. I think we were all just having fun with the broad notion of a muscular pair who were mistaken as scary bounty hunters, only to be revealed as scary stalkers. Obviously, some con culture tropes seeped in." seeped in there though for humor's sake so that's what they had to say about it but that that is so ridiculous fucking (laughs) fucking fandom snowflakes (laughs) well the thing is that was not like a mean-spirited take on fans it was a galaxy quest take on fans yeah 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 there was there i i i mean and if you are a fan who is not like that and have not seen a fan who is like that at a convention. I'm wondering how sober you were <laughs> when you were at that convention. Oh. So here's my question: What what, what do Nucktuck fans call themselves? Do they uh, call themselves Nucktuckatics? Oh, uh, do they call themselves Nuckophiles? How about uh, Nucktuckers? <laughs> <laughs> that is so much better than my other suggestion, which would have been Nuck Nuts. <laughs> I like that one. Nuck, I really like Nuck Tuckers. That's that's I great. Really like Nuck Tuckers. <laughs> oh man, that's beautiful. Um, okay, because we mentioned the the uh, standardized pie show rules at the beginning of the show. We have to talk about the whole Bolin versus Asami pie showdown. What a great scene! Mm-hmm. But, but in fact, it I, okay. I've seen this show before, so I obviously at some point watched the resolution of this scene. But I was still caught off guard with the like Asami arguing the like thinking version of the rules and Bolin arguing the no, it's a game of chaos with no thought. And surely I was expecting when they pulled the rule book out that it was going to come down on Asami's side. Mm-hmm. So when the actual payoff of the joke is every region has its own version of Pie Show and there's a bunch of different philosophies for it, I, I laughed a lot. <laughs> I love uh, I love the, like the stakeout montage with them just obsessively playing Pie Show. They've got like the 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 upbeat jazzy music <laughs> during all of that. I I love it. Yeah. And, and uh, you know what I really like about the whole Pai Show thing? A, I'm wondering, I want to know which version of the rules Asami and 
Bolin were playing at, first of all. Mm-hmm. Were they just playing their normal game, and that's why she was kicking his ass? Anyways. But the the thing that I like about the resolution of that, like, there's regional things, suddenly Pi Show feels like such a more real game now. Right. Like, that actually made Pi Show feel more like it belonged in the world than it had before. And I, like, always liked Pai Show being there. Like, I always thought it was a cool thing. But I love that there's, like, regional and cultural differences on what the hell Pai Show is even supposed to be. I don't know if there's a deeper meaning to this or if, if I have anything to say about it, but it just dawned on me that in an episode where we are introduced to the concept of the Red Lotus, which, you know, calls back to the whole White Lotus thing, the introduction of the White Lotus secret society, which happened kind of gradually through uh, Avatar, um, that was when Pai Show first uh, was introduced to us. Like the whole, the whole reason Pai Show was in Avatar The Last Airbender is it was uh, one of the signposts that was leading us towards the revelation of the White Lotus, the secret society. So here in an episode where we're about to, uh, yet another Lotus secret society is about to be uh, revealed to us, uh, there's a, a scene that revolves around the different versions of Pai Show. That's well done, Paul. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> thanks. I'm straightening my imaginary tie right now. Um, that was a, that was a master's thesis level, <laughs> like type of thematic connection. That was that was advanced. Wow. All right. So so Eric, you and I have both peaked. In tonight's episode, there's no reason for us to continue. Arlo, you're doing the show by yourself from now on. That will be my peak. <laughs> um, Hold on. I, I had one more question. It, it goes okay. back to Zaheer, but this was something I was curious about. Maybe it's just my misunderstanding of how things work in the Avatarverse. But so Zaheer throws Iway into the fog of lost souls. Right. Um, but then he tells uh, Cora, hold on, he tells her, um, he tells her that there's no need for aggression. Mm-hmm. And the, the implication being that, you know, they don't, they, they shouldn't fight in the spirit world. But I, I'm not, I'm not sure why he says that when clearly he just threw Iway into the fog of lost souls. He could, he could fuck up Cora if he wanted to. Well, well, he could fuck her up, but. A, we've already talked about whether what his plan is, so we don't know what Zaheer wants, and it's possible that throwing her under the fog of lost souls wouldn't do that, right? So, but the bigger thing I think is that ultimately he's bullshitting because he right. just wants to keep her there. Yeah, he's just distracting her, which um, yeah. uh, is another revelation of of a superpower that Zaheer has. He apparently can still talk in the physical world even when he is projecting into the spirit yeah that one irritated me i'll be honest that was a that was a zahir power that got on my nerves see i i go with it just because it looks i mean he's he was kind of whispering and straining when he was doing it and i imagine even though we didn't janora can't do it though (laughs) jesus janora can't do that and she became like a fucking kaiju spirit well, we don't know. We time. don't know if she can do it. Maybe when she gets older, she can do it. Uh, but um, what Zahir, who's been who's been meditating into the spirit world for like ten days, has figured it out. Oh, I, I don't think uh, his being able to meditate into the spirit world came with his airbending because Iway could meditate into the spirit world. 
I don't know. That's I, fair. I, I think that's fair. Okay, actually, that's fair. That's that's totally fair. Which I actually, didn't know non-benders which, can. Which actually that raises the question of well, I guess Iway is a bender. He's a metal bender, so I don't know. Do we has has it been answered? Can non-benders enter the spirit world? Maybe I'm mistaken here. Can anyone other than airbenders do it? Has anyone? I thought that the only people that have done it. No, I, I mean because well, Iway did it. And he's a metal bender. I'm sorry. Before Iway. Before Iway, because um, uh, Unalak couldn't, and he was super spirity. Super spirity. <laughs> I don't know. I. It was impl- Iro obviously ended up in the spirit world, but I think it was implied that he had been to the spirit world before. Uh, my read before had been that only Airbenders could meditate themselves into the spirit world. Huh. That right. had been my read previously. That, no. That might not be based on canon. I'm just saying that that had been yeah. my my read. Well, no, that's a good question. I'll, I'll have to look into that. And listeners, uh, Scud, if you're listening um, and you know anything about this, go ahead and contact us and let us know. But um, I, I was just about to say, if he's always like if uh, Zahir had always been able to to enter the spirit world, that raises a question of what he was doing while he was in prison. So maybe he couldn't. Maybe it really did come with his airbending. Because otherwise, I imagine he would have been going to the spirit world and and uh, coordinating all sorts of shit, even while he was locked away. I don't. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to Google it right now. And yeah, I'm not really coming up with any concrete answer. Hmm. Further research. Um, hmm. One one last thing I was going to mention, or I was going to ask, did. Eric, you, since you've seen it before, you might have picked up on this, but uh, Arlo, did you pick up on the significance of the Misty Palms Oasis? No. I did not either. Oh, really? This is the, from uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, book two, episode 10, The Library, when they were in the desert. um, That's where they went, the Misty Palms Oasis. Uh, That's where they went, went and they met the guy that had been searching for the library. Uh, and he joined them on their quest. I had not known that. Nice. It, it had the big, <laughs> it had the big like ice thing out in the courtyard or whatever. So, anyways, all right, uh, it's not not important, but I just thought that was a fun little detail. Very interesting. So uh, overall, so I want to know overall, what? How did you feel about these three episodes? Like pulling back from the individual things that happened. Um, I, I thought they were great. I'm, this season has been really, really strong, um, and a huge return to form after last season. Awesome. I'm, I'm in the same boat as Arlo. I was, that's why I was curious. I'm, I'm still totally in. And what, what do we have? How many more episodes do we have left? Do we have five, six? What do we have? Four, four. I think. Yeah. Only four. Oh, so we're doing them in two and two then yeah. the next two. Episodes? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh man, two more, two more to get into this. That's gonna be tough. <laughs> Only watching two episodes at this point in the season is gonna be tough. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but then we get to go back to the comics. Once book three is done, we get to go back to the comics. What's the what is the next comic? Smoke and Shadow. What? It's it's the one that uh, it's the one that I haven't it? read. I will be the newbie on this. And then and then um, yeah, that's good. That's good. We actually have two where we're all newbies, so. That'll be yours too, because North and South is after that one, right? Yeah, but is it going to be? I don't think it'll be finished by the time we wrap up the show. I mean, we're we've already said we'll probably come back. Wait, isn't it already out? Didn't we get North and South? 
No, the like the first volume, uh, I think is coming. Oh, out. that's right. That's right. Yeah, they started it. That's what right. Or yeah. yeah. they will not have it out. You're right. That's right. Smoke and Shadow was the one we were waiting for the collection, the special release, the really nice release of it. That's right. But North and Shadow started around the same time that that came out. Right. Correct. I think one, maybe two. I think only the first volume of that is out. But anyways, I I would love to come back. I'm pretty sure unless we keep bumping episodes, which seems to be our, our, uh, our format now, <laughs> but, uh, at the moment, the schedule we're on, I think we will be done with the series before North, uh, before North and South is wrapped up, but I would love to come back and do a follow-up episode. Uh, anyways, unless there was anything else, I think we can, uh, start wrapping this up. That was a, that was a good conversation. It was. So, guys, before we're done with the podcast, can I ask you a question? Yeah, I guess. So, like, what would you think if, like, I was an avatar, but like, like a like a dark one? No. Like, a, like a dark no avatar. No. no. I don't. Okay. No. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well. He, you just I think I think the Arlo version of the Dark Avatar was that sad ogre. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um I, I recently uh, uh went on vacation and one of my friends uh coined a resting mope face for what I look like apparently. <laughs> Whoever that friend is is the smartest human being on earth to get a Nobel Prize. And you know what was funny when I used to be a phone operator? My boss, at one point, because of something I said on the phone all the time, she taped a picture of Eeyore, uh, like uh, in my in my space, and it said, "I'm just the operator." <laughs> so, yeah, pa- apparently that's that's who and what I am. Excellent. Well, Still better than Unalak. Yes. <laughs> yes, I-, I will give you that one, Arlo. You are better than Unalak. Thanks, bud. Uh, yeah, no problem. Uh, and thank all of you at home uh, for joining us. As always, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website, theavatarreturns.com. Links will also be posted on our parent show site, gobbledygeekpodcast.com. Uh, or you can subscribe to the show on iTunes to make sure you never miss another exciting episode. While you're there, be a hero and rate us or write us a review. Uh, help spread the, uh, spread the word. Spread something. I don't know, the word. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, uh, please send your correspondence care of monkey Yahtzee. I love seeing the, the crazy spellings for monkey Yahtzee uh, to T a R podcast at gmail.com. And of course you can always find us on social media, uh, facebook.com slash the avatar returns or twitter.com slash T a R podcast. And on Twitter, I am at haunt 1013. Eric is at salon. That's S A A L O N. And Arlo is at Unplugged Crazy. Uh, next, in what has frankly become the predictably unpredictable scheduling of our show, we are skipping yet another week. So yet another one of your beloved hosts can go gallivanting about on some crazy misadventure. Uh, we will be back the third week of February for the penultimate installment of Book 3. Uh, and Arlo, this time there's only going to be two chapters to discuss. So your usual gimmick of nailing your predictions for the first two and then completely whiffing on the third one that's not going to play this time you're only getting two shots so 
I'm going to make up for it by whiffing on both of them. Okay, excellent. So next time we will be discussing Chapter uh, 310, Long Live the Queen. Um, yeah, I'm whiffing on this one right now. Um, <laughs> it's going to be an extended uh, rendition of the Charlie XCX song London Queen uh, as sung by the Earth Queen. Wow, you you I, you have a superpower, my friend. You you are <laughs> amazing in your own right. Okay, and uh, and chapter three eleven, the ultimatum. Um, I feel like this is going to be a bachelor esque reality show in which uh, Bolin lines up a number of nuck tuckers and has like sort of a rose ceremony uh, with each of them, and like at the end, like he gives them the ultimatum. Either you can, you know, c come with me to save the Republic or, I don't know, something else. Or, or something else. That's your ultimatum. Or something else. <laughs> to be fair, well, that would be Bolin's ultimatum, too. Yeah, okay. That's true. Good point. So uh, tune in next time, everybody, to find out uh, just how on <coughs> point would, Arlo was. It would, <laughs> it would be a ferret ceremony. A f oh, good. Yes, a fire ferret ceremony. Um, yes. All right. Well, until then, remember, I'm an ex-United Forces operative named Ting Ting. War was the only woman I've ever loved until Ivy came along and showed me what real love is. Tragically, she was taken from me by my arch enemy, Dr. Razor. I wanna go somewhere, Pfft, no way. No school, no work, got none today. Frosted flakes and champagne with my OJ. Pajamas all night, pajamas all day. Girls wanna hit the club, I don't care. Bring your PJs to the crib, my bed's right there. Pajamas in the studio while the beat hits. Waking up with Victoria's Secrets. Cause all I wanna do is stay home Don't call, send a text, I won't answer my phone My jammies feel fuzzy like a rabbit Don't judge me or my junk food habit Yeah, I wanna lay in bed and do nothing No plans for the day except to go do nothing 24 hours straight, lazy and it's tight Pajamas all day, pajamas all night Mama hot, mama jamma Jamming my pajamas, I put on my pajamas, and then I go bananas. I'm a hot mama jammer. I jam in my pajamas, I put on my pajamas.